Hello everyone, Brian here. If you'd like to support the Head Games Podcast, I encourage you to check out our Patreon page over at www.patreon.com forward slash headgamespodcast, games spelled G-A-M-S, of course. There's all kinds of exclusive content and perks waiting for you over there, so please go ahead and check us out, and thank you as always for your support. everyone, and welcome to the 16th episode of the Head Games Podcast. I'm Jonathan Carter, and here with me, as always, is Mr. Brian Gottlieb. Brian, how's it going? Uh, things are good, Jonathan, and it feels strange <laughs> to be on this side of the equation. <laughs> yeah. More about that coming up. But things are great. I, I just came off a great weekend at GP Portland, magic tournament that you and I both attended. You flew all the way across the country. Good getting to spend some time with you meet some fans of the podcast, which it felt like they were just everywhere. Yeah. Everyone I met wanted to talk about head games. So many kind, supportive people saying incredible things about what we're doing here. Uh, it was really humbling. And I appreciate everyone who took the time to talk to me. Uh, it really does mean a lot every time I get to have those conversations. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for real. Yeah, one part that I thought was really cool, and I think you were in at least one of the conversations. Um, we always talk on this podcast about how, like, obviously, you and I play Magic. Uh, this this podcast is an offshoot of a Magic podcast, but it's really cool for us when people outside of that community are listening, tuning in, using this advice in other endeavors. And I was in at least, I want to say, like, three or four conversations about people that play magic taking this podcast and sharing it with their friends who are competitors in other games, other sports, etc. And I just think it's really neat that this is getting out there like how we want it to. Right, right. And that's one of the biggest things I think people can do if they enjoy the cast. That's one of the best ways to support us is just telling both magic players and non-magic players alike and see what they think of what we're doing here. And it sounds like people are really digging it. I'm seeing a lot of people who I know are devout head games listeners starting to achieve some really special things, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of successes. And I don't think that's at all coincidental. I think it has a lot to do with what you're providing here every week. So very cool to see. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to hear people I know who our competitors in various things, just how they shape their plans for like an upcoming competition. A lot of it, it's not that they're foregoing getting better at whatever game or sport, whatever it is they're playing, but they're also adding to it some personal goals to work on. Either it's their focus or how they're right. communicating or their emotions. And I think it's really neat that people are adding that level of their game. 100%. But yeah, it's, it's, it's always really cool just to hear about listeners and we got a lot of opportunity to hear like some feedback uh some things people are are looking for would like to see us try thank you for those of you who shared that and if you didn't happen to be in portland over the weekend uh which i know yeah, is probably most of you please just reach out to us on social media brian and i are both always interested in in finding where else we could take the cast head games in general uh etc for sure another Exciting announcement came up over the weekend for you, Brian. I, I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, do you want to share your new endeavor coming up and, and tell us a little bit about that? 
Sure, I'm, I'm happy to. So they, I, I've known for a little while now, but essentially Star City Games, one of the largest magic content producers, and they also run a tournament series, uh, a very high profile tournament series. They asked me and Jerry Thompson, who we had on just a couple of weeks ago, to start doing commentary for their tournament series. So we're going to be doing some live broadcasting coming soon, something I have never done before. Uh, obviously, <laughs> I have podcasting experience. You come here and listen to me every week or every two weeks. But uh, a live broadcast is a new thing for me. But obviously, I have a deep love of magic. I love this kind of communication form. I love discussing things. Some would say I love the sound of my own voice, which might be true <laughs> to some extent. But yeah, it seems like a tremendous opportunity. And I, despite my complete lack of experience, I'm so excited to get the opportunity to throw my hat in the ring and really take on this new challenge. So is that just an undersell or, or like you legitimately have zero experience casting anything? I can't think of what I would have experience <laughs> casting. I, okay. I mean, like I said, I do these shows, but never a live broadcast going out as things occur. No, I, it's not something I've ever done. I've done some streaming, mm. occasional streaming, and that's kind of, you know, casting your own games, but definitely nothing where I'm essentially, you know, what you think of when you think of a play-by-play person, the same way with professional sports. That's what I'll be doing in the magic context. And no, I have not done it before. And so, so is this something that you've wanted to get into or just the offer was there and you decided, hey, you know what, let's, let's try it. Absolutely. Something I've wanted to get into, Okay, particularly as it relates to magic, but I see my eventual career going beyond that. I think it's something I want to explore. Uh, obviously, you know, I have to do show one and then I'll have a little <laughs> bit better uh, understanding of exactly how it fits into my life. But it just seems to fit with my skill set. I enjoy analyzing things, discussing ongoing sporting events, comp- competitions. Uh, like I said, I love all aspects of competition, which is why this cast appeals mm-hmm. to me so much. Uh, and that includes the actual coverage of live competition. So I'm excited to start with magic, but who knows where it goes from there. I, I am open to all possibilities and we'll see You know what eventually comes my way because it seems like things always do somehow. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm very lucky that I have all these opportunities just keep creeping into my life. And I'm excited to see what the next one is and to start this one. So if ESPN is listening, uh, you can reach Brian (laughs) at at Brian Go on Twitter. Um, So with the the spirit of that, uh, so clearly a lot of new stuff coming up in Brian's life. I'm, I'm relatively new to casting. If we were to rewind a couple of years, so is Brian. Um, And so with all that, we decided that this week, what we'd be talking about is how Brian and I approach trying new things. Even as small as like I kicked off the podcast today, which is really weird for Brian, as he said, and it's weird for me too. But just going into how we prepare when we know something new is coming up, or if there's a new skill we want to try to acquire, a new competition we want to get into. What we're going to be talking about today is just the things that go through our head as we're getting into trying something new. So I guess just overall, like how would you summarize your approach, Brian, to to trying out new stuff? Open. I, I think that's step one. It's just mm. open to all experiences that life brings my way and without presupposition or any kind of, 
I don't want to say without fear because I, I do think fear is kind of a healthy part of learning new things and, and something that shouldn't be removed from the equation, but just with a willingness, uh, a willingness to both fail and succeed, I think is important. Mm-hmm. You have to recognize there's possibility of negative outcomes and just accept that and you know, instead focus on what you can do to make a positive outcome occur. And that's in a very broad sense, how I approach new things is just not to close myself off to them. And that's not to say that's naturally who I am, because I think if you were to like reach into my default personality, and we've talked about this in the past, how sometimes our default personalities are not necessarily who we want to present, and we have to work to be the person we actually want to be. I think my default personality is very reserved uh, very risk averse and a little like hesitant and worried what other people will think in a lot mm-hmm. of instances. And the best version of me is none of those things. So I will often force myself to take these kind of leaps, to take these chances, to put myself in new positions a- and see what I can do. And also, I think this is always important when I talk about a strength. I like to talk about a weakness and, you know, we've done it before in the cast. We had our strengths and weaknesses show. And I'm saying my ability to take on new things is a strength and that's true, but I need it to balance out one of my weaknesses, which is that I move from thing to thing very quickly. (laughs) You know, if we just go back, what, seven months now, I was still a lawyer and now I'm apparently a broadcaster. Living in New York. (laughs) <laughs> Living in New York, right. So so things change very rapidly in my life. Yeah. And you know, we could take the steps before that where I was a bartender and the steps before that where I was a professional poker player. Mm-hmm. And whatever was before that, all of these things, I change a lot. And that is good. I get a lot of experiences in my life, but you can also see it as a negative if you want mm-hmm. to. You can say, you know, you can't commit to anything. You don't see things through. And I respect that criticism. I would disagree. I think variety is just a very important part of my life. I like living my life in this fashion, but I would still respect the criticism. It it is true, and I understand how people could take things that way. So I'll point out that weakness uh, if I'm going to boast of my ability to pick (laughs) up new things as well. Yeah, we've talked about uh, like your ability to calculate risk before. I believe that was on one of the episodes, and so I, I agree that that definitely goes into this. And I imagine outside of the things we've mentioned numerous times, like your various careers, this this new uh, casting opportunity, there's probably other stuff you tried that you didn't try for as long, or maybe you didn't put the same level of thought in because I, th- I think we can agree overall the the topics you're mentioning, the, the careers, the podcast, they've been largely successful mm. new things. And so I imagine what you put into those either before or during maybe is a bit different than just your average day-to-day not as important new stuff. Yeah, I I think that's fair. And also there's going to be some survivorship bias too, right? Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. these are the things, you know, I've successfully adopted and brought into my life and it feels like oh, these were home runs. I did a good job at picking up these things. But that's because there's a lot of things I did poorly at picking up and discarded them immediately. So it's not yeah. like it's not like it's just 100% successes and I'm sure, always sure. going to be successful at trying something new. And 
that's why I think it is so important, as I mentioned previously, to be open to both failure and success and understand both their possibilities and not live in fear of failure because a lot of things we try for the first time are just not going to work out for us. They aren't going to be our passions. They aren't going to set the world on fire. Um, you know, I think of countless hobbies you've discarded over your life. I'm sure there's so many. I have so many. I'm looking around my my office where I record right now and I see a a flight stick for like flight simulations, which I don't play. <laughs> I have arcade sticks all over the room, which I, I do some arcade gaming, some fighting games, but not a ton of it. Uh, there's a violin on my bookshelf, which I do not play. There's just discarded hobbies surrounding me right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I know very much what it is to, to pick something up and realize ah, this isn't really going to work out for either reasons of competency or interest. I think both are valid. Yeah, I think I've used the term curiosity before for for mm-hmm. what you're talking about. I think even on this cast, but I agree that this idea of when approaching something new, you need to be open and curious, not only to what does it take to even attempt to be successful at whatever it is you're trying, but also what does failure look like? What does it feel like? Like how do, how do you react to failure in this new realm and, and how do you feel about success and what does success look like? And when you are successful, even these discarded hobbies, like we can be successful at something and then realize like, Hey, you know what? Like this isn't really worth it. It's not that fun. So you just kind of move on and you've, you know, mastered it or whatever, or maybe you like, you get a little taste of success and you're like, well, I want to be even better. I want to be a master of whatever this thing is. Mm, That's an interesting point. I think a lot of the time we don't contemplate what success actually looks like. Mm. I know for me, when I go back to lawyering, and I think like by most metrics, how my early career went and how my law school career went, it was a, an absolute success, like a, as successful basically as it can be. And then the fruits of that success were things I absolutely did not want. And I never <laughs> stopped to contemplate that along the way. So you, you're right that I think it's a good idea when trying something new, when going down a new road to think about both success and failure and really suss out what success means for you. What opportunities does it open? How does your life change by being successful at this thing? Does it change in a way that you're looking for or is the change that you would experience via success kind of a consequence that Mm -hmm. you hadn't intended in the first place? Yeah, I think we've talked about this quite a few times in terms of just happiness and we've talked about it around your move or like our various career changes. I can think even if I go back to high school, like coming out of high school, I was very, very good at playing saxophone. I also was certified in numerous networking degrees. And then I had taken one class in psychology and I went to college and decided to study psychology because like out of those things, like there was two things that were successful and I could very much study or even just with networking, like hop right into a career and make money as an 18 year old. It's like, I don't want to do that all the time, but talking about how people think sounds really cool. So I'm going to go do that. And here I am. Um, so I just think it's interesting to, that we can go into Think, like new things and and be very accomplished and still realize that like that we don't want to continue any farther. Absolutely. So let's say I mean you have a very up and coming example of starting to cast, um, but give us some insight into 
what your prep looks like for that idea. You've known about it for a bit now, or if you want to extend it back to, to other new things you've tried, like in the, the infancy stages of you've identified, here's a new thing. I'm going to try it. What do you like walk us through what, what, what we would see Brian doing? Well, I think one of my starting points will always be visualization. Mm. And I think I want to be as precise as I can be when I'm describing my visualization process, because I think the first thing that springs to mind when you're thinking of someone visualizing something, it's like someone sitting quietly, (laughs) uh, eyes closed, just thinking about themselves doing the thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sure, that's one method of visualization. But when I'm talking about visualization, I'm talking about actually doing the task I'm setting out to do in my head and thinking about what is my performance going to look like in that arena? How do I see my skill set applying to various situations I might face? How might I react when faced with this problem? How might I react when faced with that problem? I think moving through all these things is essentially as good as practice. And you know, so let's use the example of getting ready to do a broadcast. Mm-hmm. If I am at a magic tournament, like I was in Portland this past weekend, and I'm watching a game. And if while I'm watching that game in my head, I'm picturing myself doing a broadcast of the game that's playing out in front of me, to me, that is highly effective, highly useful practice. And it comes silently at no cost and is something I can be doing all the time. Mm-hmm. And in instances where I don't need outside stimulus to do these things, I find my visualization can border on obsessive. Again, I, I want to show both strength and weakness. So I think I'm very good at doing this visualization thing, but I also think I'll beat myself to death with it. I remember the first time before I was going to appear uh, at an actual hearing in front of a judge, mm-hmm. and I had spent the night preparing my arguments and putting together you know, this kind of flow chart that I would use to present those arguments. Uh, I then went to the court, forgot the flow chart, left it at my house, <laughs> And had to quickly recompose it before uh, my appearance. But that's kind of beside the point. It's just and help the judge visualize story. it, right? <laughs> right, right. So we we overcame that disaster. But for basically the you know, 16, 17 hours where I learned I would be appearing and before I actually made my appearance before the judge, it was just a nonstop visualization going through my head that I could not stop if I wanted to. Hmm. It was like a runaway freight train of all the situations I might face. And I do think that doing this left me very prepared when the time came and I actually made my appearance. I will also say it was completely exhausting and not probably the most healthy way to go about preparation. I I think a little bit more balance would have been useful. But again, this feels like how I operate. And I would benefit from toning this down a little bit, but my default mode is definitely to go into those hardcore visualizations and really think about how this new task is going to play out. Yeah, there's definitely a point of diminishing returns. But but a lot of what you said is really consistent with what I would try to get people to start doing. So curious about a couple of things. Like you obviously can't, at least I don't think so, access a courtroom whenever you want. Like that's correct, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but in maybe this is more in law school, it would come up if we're going to stick with the law example. Did you ever 
go to where you would be doing like a mock trial, mock defense, whatever, and and do the imagery in the actual place where the performance would be happening? You know, actual like performance type stuff in law school was extremely rare. I mean, really? I, I know there TV are people- TV makes it seem like it's all the time. I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, there, there are definitely people, there are people in law school who do like moot court. Okay. I was more involved with law review and didn't really have time to do that. So okay. it's, it's not something I did. The only real like courtroom practice I remember was in my 1L intro to lawyering class. And that was definitely held in like the formal courtroom in our law school. Hmm. But I don't recall going to that destination ahead of time. Okay. So uh, when you describe that process, I do feel like it's something I've used before. I'm struggling to recall right now, though, exactly when I did it. I mean, I know, like, I know when I went to my first pro tour, I just went the day before and kind of walked around mm. the venue. Um, which did you ever was, do it for like a test? I was always told, like, scout out where the test is, and I think most of that's just so like you don't screw up driving there. <laughs> but right, there is right. <laughs> there is like something to actually support uh oh I, I actually I can, I can think of one when i started my job in the city i didn't really understand the subway <laughs> so I, di- I did a practice trip on the subway okay. i mean okay. <laughs> i don't know if that that's more practical than like yeah. getting ready to face the thing but all the same principles apply like i i had to have a better understanding of what circumstances i was going to be pa- facing on my first day of work in order to be comfortable and to just relax a little bit before i was walking in the door i think we can call navigating new york city rush hour a performance <laughs> in some ways it definitely is that's true the the reason i'm asking is uh so like a good deal of of research into um visualization or i tend to call it imagery cuz we use more senses than just our eyes. And I think visualization cues us into just like what we're looking at. But in imagery, they do find that having people actually be in the environment that they're competing is really effective. So I remember reading something about golfers practicing uh, shots from inside a sand trap and they actually mm-hmm. had the the golfers like stand in a sandbox at, like and not a, they didn't swing an actual golf club but like they did their imagery in there and it just like helped them replicate exactly what it would be like the resistance etc so you you hinted at that a little bit in terms of like when you're watching magic like i i agree completely that i think a lot of people hear visualization or imagery and they expect someone's just like on a floor, on a mat, having this real peaceful image. And, and and that can absolutely work, but there is something to be gained by attempting to replicate where you're actually going to be competing, performing, et cetera. Yeah. I, you know, maybe I've shied away from that to my detriment. And I think about if you've ever done any kind of public speaking, mm-hmm. my public speaking rehearsal involves no public speaking. Like I, I don't say the words I'm going to say before I do them. Yeah, I don't I, either. <laughs> I read them and visualize it. But I know like my wife, if she has to do public speaking, she'll read her entire presentation out loud. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's how she gets to a place of comfort. And it's funny how that's different for everyone, uh, how we, we need like different things to be like, okay, I've got this. I don't need to actually have ever said the words. I just need to have internalized them, pictured myself saying them, and that can work for me. Uh, my wife is very different. She needs to have actually gone through the presentation, clicked the slides, said the words, and that's when she gets to her point of comfort. So what about like, let's take upcoming 
shoutcaster gig coming up? Like, what are some other aspects of things you visualize, imagine, et cetera, that you think like set the stage for that? I, I think there is a visual component. I think picturing myself in the role, uh-huh. what I'll wear. Yeah. Uh, for for whatever reason, like how I will dress when performing a task is something I do think about quite often. And like, I'm not a super fashion focused person. Uh, I don't generally think of myself as vain, at least not in my old age. Um, maybe when I was younger, I had some <laughs> vanity in me. But at the same time, I, I do think picturing myself as portraying that role. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's always on the forefront of my mind when it comes to picking up a new task. Like when I was becoming a lawyer, I thought, how do I dress like a lawyer? How do I project the image of a lawyer? And in some ways that's self-serving, but when you're lawyering and you have clients, I think them being able to see you as a lawyer, to see you as a professional, as someone who can protect them and work in their best interest, especially mm-hmm. when I was working with low income clients. Mm. I think it was very important for me when I appeared in court to be able to present an air of professionalism that they could rely on and find comfort in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the same way when I'm trying to prepare for having viewers to my broadcast, I, I think I need to be able to present myself as someone knowledgeable on the topic and just there to do a professional job. And, you know, I know some people laugh at the idea of esports broadcasters who dress in suits to do their work. I don't mm-hmm. find anything funny about that. And I, I'm not a super formal person, but I do think there is a time for professionalism and to say, this is a serious thing and I'm here right. to do a job and I will both earn and command your respect. Mm-hmm. And I, I think part of that can be formal dress as informal of a person as I am. I, I see the times for it. I see why it's important to say, look, this is serious business and I have an important message to convey to you. And something about this person is wearing a suit, they probably have something important to say. I mean, if you've ever walked around in a suit, you realize that people treat you differently. They yeah. see you as an authority figure. And I, I don't know why this is. It's always yeah. been very strange to me, but just you can get away with a lot of things if you were wearing a suit. <laughs> I, it, it's crazy. That's the way our world works, but it's true. Yeah, people are at the very least curious. Like, huh, right. well, like why is this person in a suit here? And I'm sure the, you know, there's there's other gender markers that are used exactly the same way. Right, right. Um, you know, professional dress for females or any gender really. It, it all applies where you can present yourself in a certain way that people just go, "I should listen to what this person has to say." Mhm. Two things that I think are interesting that align with exactly how I would coach someone through starting to uh, imagine this upcoming performance. One, like the clothing does matter because that's how you're going to be performing in a suit. Like you're going to be in a suit. And so like you are going to likely be warm. Uh, Like you're going to feel the suit on you. It's going to like, maybe your shoes are slightly uncomfortable. I mean, like all that stuff matters. If we think about, um, like if I were to use imagery to prep for hockey, I'm not going to be sitting around in gym shorts comfortable in my apartment. Like I'm in full gear. It's super hot. Mm. I have very tight skates on. So like our prepping our brain for like, okay, we're, we're rehearsing this performance. This is what it's going to be like. Getting it to feel that way absolutely matters too. And and you also hinted at like a like an emotional component, like this this whole like air of professionalism. 
Yeah, if it, it, we talked a few weeks ago about how people perform better if they get themselves in the right mindset or or emotional state for a given performance. Like if 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 Brian the the like caster is is like professional confident person, like if you're able to use imagery to get yourself there, then that makes it even more effective to use that as a way to prepare. I I would love to talk more about confidence since we're kind of hitting on that. Uh, right now anyway, and how I think that is such an important part of your approach to new things. And confidence is so funny because I think if you pretend you have it, then you actually just have it. And that's the messed <laughs> up thing it about you it. Make it idea. I mean, it, it's so, so true. The more I speak with people who are in roles, which both require and presume, I guess, confidence. Um, mm. You know, when, when you talk to people in very high up positions who have done these amazing things, you know, when I had candid conversations with very high ranking law firm partners, mm-hmm. so much of it was just, look, I, I need to look confident because people need to trust that I'm doing the right thing. Inside, I am a ball of nerves. I mm-hmm. question everything I do. And I know I'm a complete fraud referencing some imposter syndrome. <laughs> but on the outside, I'm going to look confident and everyone around me is going to believe that. And it's it's so strange how the markers of the thing you are attempting to portray, they're the same as the actual thing. And I remember having this discussion with someone who uh, was going through like a really hard time as far as uh, happiness and just didn't enjoy anything, like was finding no happiness anywhere and was telling me about an experience they had where they were like out with a group one weekend and didn't expect to enjoy it, but basically like forced themselves to go through the motions of happiness. Mm. And their experience afterwards was positive and they felt happy doing those things. Mm-hmm. So in, in a lot of ways, like pretending to be the thing that you don't think you are turns you into that thing. And I think that applies with confidence 100%. And a lot of this is easier said than done. But when you just accept like, okay, I actually don't have to be confident. I just have to seem like I'm confident. That's an easier task to me than actual confidence. I, I don't I don't know about you. And maybe this is shortcutting things. And the better approach is to actually gain that confidence in yourself. But I think this is step one to going down that road and getting yourself to a place where you can be confident because you can't be confident about something you've never done before. Again, going back to my first time work, walking into a courtroom, I know I need to look confident for my client, for the sake of the judge, for the sake of my interactions with opposing counsel. I need to look confident. It, it's something I need to portray to be successful, but I've never done this before. <laughs> so I'm a complete ball of nerves. I, I legitimately have no idea what I'm doing and I'm just going to fake my way through, but I can't let anyone know that. Mm-hmm. And by finding success in that moment where I had to pretend to be confident, I generated tr- true confidence for the next time I was in the mm-hmm. same position. There's a lot there. So I, I think the idea of uh, like acting confident, I, I think that can definitely be one on ramp if we want to call it that to to like actual confidence uh and i Mm -hmm. think when we say confidence what we're really saying is like how certain you are that you're gonna successfully perform whatever you're trying to do so like Mm -hmm. i'm either not certain at all i'm like kind of certain maybe this is gonna work out or like no i'm gonna crush it so i 
don't agree that you can't be at all confident with something you haven't done. But I, I completely agree with you that it's very rare to go into a like new novel task and be like certain that like you're going to knock it out of the park. But I think there's a lot of ways. And the one you mentioned of, you know, convincing yourself you're confident, like that's definitely one way that we, we, we use that as a way to boost kind of that, that certainty, especially when we're going into something uncertain to get us closer to actually believing we can do it. Like there, there's some other mm. sources we can pull from too, but like, I, I agree that, what you tell yourself absolutely matters. And if you're telling yourself like, no, I, I am confident. And, and a lot of times when we're doing that, we either use evidence that we talk like, Hey, I prepped for this for 16 hours. Like right. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good or, Hey, I've done something similar. What's the worst that could happen? Or like the actual worst that could happen is like, I fail miserably. And if I do fail miserably, like, does that actually matter? Like, I think those kind of conversations we have with ourselves absolutely impact like how certain we are going into something. Yeah. I guess it, it feels like maybe I feel like I can generate true confidence in aspects hmm. of a task, but it's hard to have true confidence in the entirety of the task yeah. until it's been completed. I think it makes um, sense. But when I think about that, it's like anything can really be broken down into an aspect. You know what I mean? Like there's always a way to get more granular through assessment of something like, Oh, I can't be comfortable in a hockey game until I've actually played a hockey game. Mm -hmm. But then I say, but I can be comfortable with my stick handling. Mm -hmm. But then I could say, well, I can't be comfortable with stick handling until I've done the, you know what I mean? There's always like another level to take it to. So I, I see how my argument can be kind of challenged on those grounds. I just know that there's there's nothing like the first time you do something and it feels like very much all downhill from that first hurdle mm. and just getting those things out of the way. And like you said, I think there's a point of confidence you can reach based on the things you're going to have to do within that performance, but the entirety of it, it's like, I, I can't say that I'm going to walk into my first broadcast confident. This will be the best broadcast <laughs> yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am confident that I will have prepared and I, I know the basics of what I'm doing and uh, I have a good foundation for success. And then the confidence will come after knowing. I think a lot of the intangibles play into this too. It's like you can be confident about doing this podcast because you know this topic very well. Mm -hmm. But until you've sat down and we've pushed record and you've <laughs> yeah. gone through the process, it's like it's very hard to say, yeah, I'm definitely going to nail this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and with that, like... For episode one, heck yeah. <laughs> like we right. had conversations like, hey, Brian, hope uh, hope I know what you think. I know. <laughs> um, right. And or even just I think we run through that a little bit each episode. We talk beforehand like, OK, here's what we're going to talk about today. Kind of looks like it'll be an episode. <laughs> but let's see what yeah. happens. And then, yeah, uh, invariably, we always end with like, well, I think that was like pretty good. And I think you'll find that same thing going into casting like you have been recorded talking about magic for hours now. And in a lot of ways, you're going to be doing similar things. It's just, it's live. It's slightly different. You're analyzing what's happening. And so it's perhaps not as prepared. But I do think that 
what confidence you do find on that day of your first broadcast will likely in part come from recognizing like, look, I've done at least part of this. And and so mm. you're not going to be uh, agreed. You're not going to say, and then you probably shouldn't say like, this is going to be the best cast I ever do. But you're also not going to walk in thinking like, whoa, I have absolutely no idea what I'm supposed to do when this goes live. Right. And I think that's another big part of my preparation for new tasks is that I really try hard to draw parallels between tasks I've done previously. Yeah. And it's something that has generated comfort for me time and time again. And like you said, in this instance, I have a lot of experience talking about magic. I think about the fact that our podcasts are essentially live. They do get edited. Connor does right, a fantastic right. job. Thanks, a Connor. lot of it is cleaning up audio and you know doing some formatting stuff. But on the whole, what you hear is mostly what we're putting down. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of continuity and a, a lot of liveness about what we do. So I'm able to draw on that. And like you said, there are now hundreds and hundreds of hours of me talking about magic on the internet, which is kind of a insane thought to have. I don't know why that just struck me so poignantly, but there's, there's a lot of my voice out there. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry about that world. You're stuck with me now. <laughs> yeah. There's always a parallel to draw from when you're picking up something new. When I f- played my first pro tour, I told myself, well, you've been at the final table of poker tournaments before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, a lot of these same nerves, you know, a lot of the same you know, probability-based calculations you're going to be making throughout the day. And Mm -hmm. that's how I got comfortable with that. And when I was thinking about being in that courtroom for the first time, I actually thought back to bartending, which Mm. is weird. But when you're bartending, you're very much on display in front of a bunch of people. You have to be kind of fluid and keeping conversation going. And there there are some similarities if you look hard enough. And I think that's a useful tool to kind of apply when you're going to be picking up something new is just think of parallels, look for the things you've done. And, and then eventually you're going to be able to tell yourself, maybe this isn't so different after all. Maybe I've done something very close to this before. Yeah. What about, have you ever pulled from seeing other people do either what you're trying to do or something similar to to whatever it is you're you're trying out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean I mean like basically aping behavior of others is is a a key way to learn these things. And again, since I've known I'm going to be doing this thing, it's something that I've tried to be more cognizant of and thinking about how people are using certain devices Mm -hmm. in their broadcasting. And, you know, when I started podcasting, it was the same thing. There's a podcast I listen to religiously every single week, as soon as it comes out, because I believe the podcaster is innately talented at the format. And so much of what they've done is what I've tried to apply to my own podcasting. Mm-hmm. So I, I think absolutely just looking for for parallels in the behavior of others is is just as useful. And that ties into, you know, not thinking you know everything and being mm-hmm. willing to take hits from other people and, and take advice from other people and see what others are doing well and becoming kind of this amalgamation of everything around you that you enjoy. Like think about other casters you've heard what about what they do can you apply to your own work? That's something I'm always asking myself. Yeah, I think an important part of that too, like it's it somewhat applies to casting, 
but I, I'm thinking if someone has like a physical skill that they're trying out, it absolutely applies here. Um, but sure. who you're watching should like, like you should be cognizant of how much of a gap there is between your skill level and, and theirs. And that sounds a little mm. silly, but like, when I'm getting ready to play hockey on the weekend, if there's something new I want to try, like watching Alexander Ovechkin shows me what right looks like, but it's hard for me to put myself in his skates because the the delta between my skill level and his is significantly different. Whereas right. if this Saturday night I see one of my friends pull something off in, in a hockey game, they're much closer to my skill. So it's easier for my brain to to wrap around like how I like what 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 are the steps for me to get from where I am to where that is. And so so I'm not saying don't look at the elite because they are a very good example of what what right looks like. But part of preparation needs to be like figuring out like where are you currently in your skill level and then adjusting as you get better. Right. I think that's great advice, especially when it comes to physical things. Like I know as a snowboarder, I can take literal nothing from Sean White. Nothing he <laughs> yeah, does has yeah. any meaning whatsoever. Maybe to how me. he puts his snowboard on, like how he steps maybe, into it. <laughs> maybe. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but if I scale things down a bit, uh, there are other snowboarders I can learn from. And I, I think there's no reason to think that's not a very reasonable way to go about learning non-physical skills as well. Yeah. What you can do though with like, if for some reason, let's say you did have access to Sean White and you're trying to get better at snowboarding, talking to that person and asking for advice is, is absolutely okay. And and I know that's part of what I do when I'm, when I'm getting into something new. Like when, when I started casting, I, I asked you about like your first steps into it. Some things you did when I first started practicing performance psychology, like I absolutely leaned on my mentors or if like I ever run into a situation that I haven't encountered before, I seek out colleagues or mentors and just see if someone else has done this before. Usually there's someone who has and then and just being open to learning from someone who's better than you is it's cheating. Like you you just get free information on on how to like accelerate where you are in learning this new thing. Yeah. And this is why as time moves on, humans get better and better at things, Mm -hmm. right? It's because they're just compiling on information learned from the generations and the, the predecessors before them. And we're applying all these things constantly and to not do so. I, I do think there's like, there's some truth that you need to have your own uniqueness and you shouldn't try to be anyone else. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you can't maintain your uniqueness while still getting to the essence of what that person is putting down and realizing the truth of the advice they'll give you and applying it in a way that fits with your personality, mm-hmm. with what you're doing. And uh, I think sometimes we're a little bit too afraid that we'll not be our own person where we take the advice of others. That's not true. You Mm -hmm. can still be you. You just need to integrate these things carefully and, you know, be true to yourself. And if you're always being true to yourself, I I think advice will manifest in a very you way. Yeah. Like if you're trying to be a better shooter in basketball, you you should be looking at what Steph Curry is doing. Like you're you're not going to be there tomorrow, but 
it would be madness to to like not seek out people who are actual experts in whatever it is you're trying to do. And sometimes when we seek out advice, like if you're looking for advice from someone, most of the time it means that you've identified this person, this source, like because maybe it's you're just looking on the internet and you're like, no, there's a good source for something. And in in taking that action, you are acknowledging that you believe that there's some amount of credibility or knowledge to be gained from that person, that source. And sometimes you find out that what they say is not what you believed. Being willing to to not be right is a huge part of this process too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I think it's a huge part of life. The more you can't learn anything if you already believe you're right. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to have this attitude where uh, if if I'm going to engage the help of this person, I need to be willing to be wrong. And I see this a lot in magic. A lot of people will yeah. ask for advice. And what they actually want is for you to tell them that they were right all along. They don't actually want your opinion. And when you <laughs> tell them why you disagree with what they're doing, it just becomes a long effort on their part to try and convince you that what they're doing is right. And that's fine. You can, you can be, you should at times be sure of your rightness. And I don't want to pretend like I have all the answers. But at the same time, what did you come to me for if not to weigh my opinion and take what I was saying to heart? And if it's just for more self justification, you're, you're not going to gain anything from the process of seeking advice. Um, so be ready to be wrong. If, if you care enough about your improvement that you're seeking help, Make sure you're applying it and and let yourself be wrong from time to time. Right. And and I find it's more often like not just a, a one-time occurrence. Like m- maybe you seek out advice or you're, you're talking something over with someone else that, that's either equal skill or better than you and you find a disagreement. Like sh- sure, maybe in that situation you can weigh evidence for or against and, and see if like, okay, maybe you're still right. But if time after time a coach – another player, like somebody is giving you feedback that like it is consistent across time. Like I've seen this with uh, like early professionals in, in sports psychology, like they will get consistent feedback about certain aspects of how they deliver knowledge or, or like just how they work with people. And, and it's, it's like funny and sad to watch. Cause like, you'll see these feedback forums and it'll say the same thing over and over and over again. And they just like skip right past it or like, ah, yeah, like that's not right. And it's like, well, if it's a pattern, maybe it is like, maybe it is right. And and man, think about what you would learn if, or like how good you would get if you looked at that advice and saw it as an opportunity and not a threat. Mm. Uncoachable. That's the word that comes to mind when you're describing someone like that. They, they are what you would call uncoachable. And that's one of the worst things you can be. I think you're closing yourself off to so much learning, so much improvement, always be willing to be coached. And be ready to fail. Like we talked, we did a whole episode on failure. So if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. I think it's one of our earlier ones. But it, it would be awesome if everyone tried new things and they were just instantly successful and they they were the best in the world. But there's a reason why there's only so many people that are the best in the world at whatever they're doing. It, it's hard to learn new skills, and in learning, like failure should be part of the process. And, and you should be thinking about like, how am I going to handle failure? How am I going to use it to my benefit? And, and just like realize that you're not going to like start at the end. If that- yeah, uh, that's, that's what comes to mind for me is that the way you do this task on day one does not define this endeavor for you. Mm. 
you you are taking your first stab at something, it is okay to not be at your best form at that point. Mm-hmm. You should certainly strive to get to the best form you can get to with the understanding that you have a lifetime of improvement to go and there's no perfection on first pass. And I think to, again, if we're going to talk broadcasting, one of my favorite esports broadcasters is Papa Smithy. He mm-hmm. covers League of Legends for the LCK, the the Korean League. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it now has a different name. But regardless, he, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal League of Legends caster. I love his work so much. And if you go back and listen to his early work, there's a very famous game he commentated, uh, the Heimerdinger game. Do you know the game I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about? Right. So uh, this only appeals probably to the hardcore League of Legends fans among us. But I, I think there is something to take away from the story. It's a very famous game, and people have gone back and watched it many times, and Papa Smithy is covering it. The improvement this person has shown from their work on this game when they had already been, it wasn't their first ever broadcast. They had already been working in the field for some time versus who this person is as a caster now is night and day. It is jaw dropping how much better this person has become in such a short period of time. And that's very inspiring to me. Mm -hmm. And you know, they, they were, they were competent. They were good. They were practiced. They were well-studied. Papa Smithy was all of those things at the time of this very famous game. But fast forward to three or four years later, and he's just one of the best casters in the world. And the difference is like night and day. Yeah. Casting world is an expert about his region. Like, right. Yeah. Right. And, and there's just so much room for growth in whatever endeavor you're going to take on. Don't feel like, everything hinges on your first efforts. Uh, If I had done poorly the first time I stepped into a courtroom, it doesn't mean I wasn't going to get better over time or that I was a failure as a lawyer. Are there stakes? Sure. There Mm -hmm. was absolutely stakes in that situation. And there's going to be stakes when I set out to do this first broadcast and I am going to prepare and do my best, but I also am going to give myself room to grow and understand that you know when I watch that performance five years from now, I want to laugh at it. I want to have grown so much from that point. And I, I think if you're, you don't have that goal, you're kind of missing the point in a lot of ways. Yeah, we recorded a lot of stuff uh, in grad school or just early on in, in the job I'm in now. And I haven't seen it in a while and I would have to like dig it out. But like even a few years later, seeing what like, first month on the job Jonathan looked like attempting to coherently deliver performance psychology to a group of people like to what I was a few years later is insanely different. And it's like super embarrassing to watch, but then you just can, if you like want to be judged by it, then it's like very embarrassing and and you hate it, but you can also look at it as like, look how far I've come. And like seeing that difference is massive. And if you have people that you know, who are great at things like, especially if like you're trying to get into something and you know someone who's good at it, ask them what their first steps were like. We don't often see every single step that somebody takes along the way. We just kind of see the end product because that's what we're looking at now. And like some people learn faster than others. Some people have talents in different areas. So like there's all sorts of stuff that goes into it, but like skill development is a process, including all of the stuff we talk about on head games. Like these are all skills And even if it's something that we've talked about that you're trying to like try out as something new, like these same principles apply to that. Spot on.
All right. Well, I think we've talked a good bit about trying new things. I'm about to try another new thing in a second. Uh, but if you listen to this cast and you have any questions about what we've talked about, please, as we said earlier, reach out to us on social media. Otherwise, we'll be back next week to talk about some more head games. Thank you.